Well, I didn't want to miss that. Uh, some of you guys know, Lindsay, uh, my wife and I have been married almost nine years, and it's been an awesome nine years. Like, me, single, is bad. Like, I'm just, I'm a weird person, but nine years later, Lindsay's kind of even some of that out, and I'm really thankful for that, especially having kids now. It's like, oh, man, like, I'm, I'm growing up. I'm thankful for that. But I reflect on, obviously, the marriage is not just a wedding. It's more than that. But I remember the day Lindsay and I got married, and it was awesome. I mean, it rocked. Uh, the reason it was awesome is because she's an awesome planner. She is like one of the most detail-oriented human beings I've ever met, and she planned that thing just perfectly. Like from a pure event, she does events now for a living. Like for a pure event, she just, every box was checked. It was amazing. Like even down to the invite cards, like the font choice, like the choice and the size was just like, dialed in like she was totally fixed on making sure this this event this day of the wedding was perfect and it was now the only catch was she said john i don't want you to do anything with the wedding which is a statement about me i guess but she's like i don't want you to do anything don't plan anything with the wedding just i want you to be a part of it you do the guys things you need to do but i want you to plan the honeymoon and i was like i got it i'm on it like i will i will crush this honeymoon it's gonna be amazing and so I, I began conspiring with some friends, conspiring with my dad, who has just flown all over, traveled a ton. I was like, where should I go? And we finally land on Cancun, Mexico. Some of you have been there. I was like, Let, we're going to make this happen. She's like, I don't want to know. Just kind of surprise me the night of our wedding. You tell me where we're going. I don't want to be involved in any of the details, any of the planning. I said, perfect. So we get it planned out. We're going to Cancun. And for us, I went to school in eastern Canada, which is just cold. I, I grew up in Michigan, cold. Lindsay's from the East Coast, cold, like snow and winter. And we got married in December. So all I was thinking about was tropical. I can't wait to get to the beach. Can't wait to lay out, get sunburnt. Uh, at the time I had hair, I was like, I just can't wait for that. Like just get uh, my hair to get nice uh, color in it. And so eventually we get there and it was, it was amazing. Uh, it was good. And I found like incredible deals on the hotel, on the flights. Like I just was feeling good about the trip. So we get there, the first day it's kind of drizzling rain. I'm like, oh, it's not a big deal. Like we got, in, we got in the afternoon and we're like, we'll just hang out in the room and kind of walk around when stuff clears up. Well, little did I know that the reason my flights were so expensive and the reason my hotel was so inexpensive was that I picked the rainiest week in Cancun of the entire year. I mean, it, it's like hurricane monsoon level rain. It was just downpouring constantly. It was crazy. It was like one of the most depressing things ever. Like, I'm supposed to be happy. Like, I'm happy, but I'm like stuck in this 100-square-foot room with you. Like, I kind of want to go out to the pool or go to the beach or something. And so finally, we get so, like, stir-crazy. Like, let's just go see a movie. Like, let's have our first married movie experience together. Like, we're, we're together now. Let's go do that. And so uh, we kind of scanned through the movies. We, she was like, I don't care. Let's just pick one. So I picked one. And eventually we're like, okay, we're gearing up. We got our, our, our stuff on. We got our money. We're, we're all set to go. Now, again, because I was cheap, we had to get on a bus like a half mile away and then bus down to Cancun and then find the theater. It was like this whole thing. Uh, I'm glad she stayed with me after the week is all I'll say. We get to the bus stop after a half mile of, of somewhat heavy rain, and we're standing there, and it begins to just downpour. It's like crackling, rolling thunder, lightning. It is pouring rain. I don't know the first, I don't know how you think, like if you are married or you want to get married, how you picture your honeymoon looking. Let me show you what I did not picture my honeymoon looking. That's not how I picture my honeymoon looking. 
this is me. And she, she, Lindsay asked me this last night. She's like, uh, are you sure you want to show that picture? I was like, honey, you look great. She's like, no, I'm talking about you. Like, you sure you want to show that picture? I was like, that's proof that you get better with time, right? You age like a fine wine as a man. So feeling pretty good about that. Um, but anyway, so we, we get on the bus, we're dripping water. It's nasty. We're like, all of our clothes are soaked. We get to the movie theater, get our tickets. We're like sloshing through the lobby. We finally get the theater. We sit down on the big, warm, cloth seats for two and a half hours soaking wet. And it was disgusting. I guarantee there was mold on the chair and on me. Like by the end of that movie, I have no doubt. And it made it worse because I picked the movie Captain Phillips where literally Navy SEALs shoot people at the end. Like that was romantic. Good choice. Uh, husband John. So she was like, why do we even see this movie? Like, this is a terrible experience all around. So finally, we make it back to the room, and and the rest was just fine. But I was reflecting on that with her recently. I was like, why did we do that? She's like, you know why we did that? Because we hate waiting. That's why we we did that. We walked in the rain. We didn't wait till it cleared up. We didn't wait till the next day. We just wanted to go out and do stuff, and uh, and we had to pay for it. Like, that was the thing. Now here, I don't know every single one of you personally, but here's what I know about almost all of us probably, is that almost all of us hate waiting. Like we're just by nature impatient people, especially if you grew up in America. It's like, I want things fast. Like how many times have I personally been in a drive through line and it took too long and I was like, forget it. I'm just going to go get coffee or go get food somewhere else. Like I do that all the time. Even the order ahead thing, if that order, like anyone get Domino's and, and like the tracker? Okay, cool. Just me. So... <laughs> when you get Domino's, you got that, that pizza tracker. When it's off the timing, I'm like, come on. Like, I, I'm just constantly refreshing it. I do not like to wait at all. And a lot of us are like that. And we've been kind of journeying with Israel through the wilderness and, and in the story of Exodus. And if you don't like waiting, you and I are a lot like Israel. Like, we're a lot like God's people. We are a lot like people who do not like to wait on God, who don't like to wait uh, when, when things are out of our control. And I want to go to a passage, uh, Exodus 24, actually. We're going to read uh, kind of two different chunks of the story. Exodus 24, starting in verse 12, and then we're going to skip ahead to verse thirty or chapter 32. So if you have a Bible or phone, you can Google it, look it up, whatever you have. Uh, Exodus 24, 12, and the reference will be on the screen. Here's what it says. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here. I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I've written for their instruction. So quick pause. This is the moment. If you've been around church, maybe you just grew up in a, in a Christian environment. You know this for this kind of moment, it's a Ten Commandment moment. This is where Moses, kind of the leader of the community, goes up to the mountain and comes back down with these tablets of stone, kind of laying out the guidelines for, for God's people to flourish in the wilderness. That's what's happening here. So verse 13, Moses set out with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain to God, which, I mean, if you ever climbed a mountain, that doesn't sound like that's that fantastic, but Moses here is around 90 years old. So with his AARP card and the walker to the side, up goes Moses, the 90-year-old leader, uh, to meet God on the mountain. I mean, this is kind of a bizarre story. This is pretty interesting that, that he does this. So finally, verse uh, 14, he says to the elders, wait here. Just You guys got to wait. Eventually, I'm going to come back. And Aaron and Hur, these are two different guys. They're kind of worship leaders, similar to what Peter does for us. That's what they did for Israel. They're going to be with you. 
And anyone involved in a dispute, you can go to them. You got a fight, you got someone ripped you off, someone owes you money, you go to those guys, they'll help you figure it out, but just wait for me. Verse 15, Moses went up on the mount and the cloud covered it. This is like we've been talking about the tabernacle, it's kind of dwelling place, God's, God's glory falls on the mountain. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. I mean, I'm not good at waiting, but if I see the tangible presence of God, like Yahweh on this mountain, it wouldn't be that hard to wait. It'd be like, whatever happened with Moses, I want some of that. Like, I want, I want to hear from what God is trying to say to us. Verse 16, the glory of the Lord covered the mountain six days, and on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, again, they're looking down. They're below Mount Sinai, a couple thousand feet down on the ground. The glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire, like this flame on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So again, you're Israel. Moses has to wait. You see this incredible, like, tangible display of God's power, his presence on this mountain with Moses. I'm excited to hear what God has to say. Like, I'm okay with waiting. I don't want to rush that process. Like, I'm, I'm just going to keep worshiping God. Clearly, he's there. He's, he's at work. His presence is tangible. But that's not exactly how the story goes. So if you skip ahead, now we're going to skip in your Bible, or you can scroll to it. Exodus 32, literally starting in verse 1 of chapter 32, look what happens. This is while they're supposed to be waiting. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods, little g, idols, who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us about Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Like, he, he said we should wait for him, but, but I don't know what happened. He's, he's been up there for over a month now, and, and we are waiting, and we're getting sick of waiting. Let's, let's worship something. Aaron answered them, verse 2, Take off the gold earrings your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Quick pause there. I mean, again, it, was it the, the golden calf that brought them out of Egypt? No, I mean, absolutely not. We read the story. You maybe know the story. The Lord freed them from Egypt, led them through the Red Sea. Verse 5, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early, sacrificed burnt offerings, and presented fellowship offerings, all these different offerings to this golden calf. And afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Now, we'll talk about that later, but, but if you ever felt like maybe Israel did out of control, have you ever felt in your life where you are waiting for something to happen and you just don't know, God, what are you doing? What am I supposed to be doing? Maybe you hit a crisis. Maybe you're in a crisis today of some sort. It could be relational, money-wise, house-wise, job-wise, and you're like, I don't know where to go with all of that. Like one of the most important questions we can ask as human beings is what do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you don't know what to do? Because all of us face situations. Again, maybe you're in one Right now, here's what most of us do. Even if you're not like a churchy person, even if you're not a Christian, here's what a lot of us do. We say some kind of prayer. Maybe it's 10 seconds, 15 seconds, 20 seconds long, 
and then we do something. Like we are action-oriented, productive people. We immediately pray about it, and then we just do something. We just launch into action, and that's definitely how I am. It's like, hey, we want to go see a movie. I don't care if it's raining. I'm not waiting on that. We're going. Like, we're going to see Captain Phillips in the rain. I don't care. We pray, and then we do. It's like an immediate response. But I want to bring us two cautions from this story and then two lessons. Two cautions and two lessons. The first caution, you see this. You keep reading down Exodus 32 Look at what, if you have your Bible, you see this already, but in verse 16, look at what the, the writer says in Exodus. It literally says the tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. Like, I, I don't know about you, I, I love Jesus, I love his voice, I love when I sense like God speaking to me about something, even if I'm not totally clear on that. And they're literally saying, like, you want to know God's will and his voice in your situation? I'm going to put it on a rock, and I'm going to give it to you. It's like, if God's, if you got these cards around you for later, like, if you look at these cards and you literally saw, like, the pen just start writing, and it's God's, like, here's what you should do in the situation you're facing, you'd frame that thing, you'd maybe sell that thing. I don't know if that's sacrilegious, but, but you'd want people to know, like, God put this on here. This is, like, directly from him. That's what Israel has. They have like direct revelation of God's will for them. But caution number one, this is why it's so important. See, not waiting, not waiting, which is what they do, not waiting causes us to miss out on the voice of God for our situation. It literally causes us to miss out on revelation from the Holy Spirit. It literally causes us to miss God's way in our circumstance. I love what uh, theologian Nate Finocchio says about this. He literally writes this. He says, Revelation of God's ways brings faith and life, and that's true. Some of you, that was this last Sunday. Like you encountered God in a new way. He spoke to you. It brought faith. It brought life. But assumption of God's ways, which is the opposite of waiting, it is a hubris or a pride that leads to death. Let me say that one more time because that's heavy. Revelation of God's ways brings faith and life, but assumption of God's ways is a hubris that leads to to death. A simple way to put that is the opposite of, of patience is not impatience. The opposite of, of waiting is not impatience. It's actually pride. It's actually hubris. It's actually control. It's actually our desire to take things back into our own hands from God. Caution number one. Caution number two. When we don't worship God, we settle for idols. And that's kind of obvious in the story, right? The whole story is about a giant golden calf that they begin worshiping. This, this thing that they made has no supernatural properties. It's not the, the one hovering above the mountain in a pillar of cloud or fire. They decide we're going to worship this thing that we created. Sometimes, I mean, we settle for idols all of the time. If you're not aware of them, I mean, some of them are sexuality. Worship people we can sleep with or who's on our app or even in our own relationships with people. We settle for idols of money. I just make enough, I just get enough, I just get the income raise or that promotion, I'll be secure, begin worshiping those things. Sometimes we do this with political power. If my leader who I like was in place, man, then, then I would I truly have like peace in my life. We begin worshiping those people, those, those created human beings. We do this with comfort. I could just get the cottage, just get the lake, just get another vacation, just go to Cancun with John and Lindsay, whatever it is for you. Just the comfort is we settle in. Like we can settle in and pursue what makes me feel good can be the highest value. We settle for that idol. And here they settle for an idol they already knew about. 
See, the, the golden calf was not, they just decided we should make a, a cow with gold. Like that's, they had seen this exact image before all throughout their time in Egypt. This is actually the god Apis, A-P-I-S. And this is the god Apis. He was literally a bull who represented sex and life and power and fertility. And they would have seen thousands of Egyptians bow and worship at this little god, at this idol. And so they decide, well, clearly that worked for them. We're going to do it. So they literally create a calf in the image of Apis. They, they recreate this idol that they had seen in Egypt. And uh, the PG version of what happens in, in verse 6 that we read, revelry, is literally, you can picture, if this is the God of sex and fertility and life, how do you think this specific God was worshipped? And you see them literally get drunk as a community and practice all sorts of things that are like way X-rated for, for a, a Sunday morning service. Like that is literally what's taking place here. That, when the word revelry is used, that's the connotations like, hey, this is exactly what happened in Egypt is happening in this community. When we don't worship God, we settle for so much less. We settle for idols, things that will overpromise and underdeliver. And here's what I find really fascinating. You skip down to the rest of this, this chapter in verse 22. Aaron, the worship leader, begins, because leaders have to go first in all this. We've said this all series long. This is not just you guys should do it or our church should do it. It's like, I'm going first. Our staff, our leaders, we're going first and pursuing, making the presence of God our central priority, the most important thing about our life. But in verse 22, listen to what happens. Moses comes down and he is ticked. He's angry. He's like, Aaron, her, like I gave you, you didn't have to just keep things the way they were. I wasn't asking you to like upend like our whole community here. Like what is going on? These people are wasted. These people are sleeping with each other. Like what is going on? And literally listen to what Aaron says in verse 22. He says, don't be angry, my Lord. It's like the most soft-spoken, like, why are you mad at me, Moses? Don't be angry. You know how prone these people are to evil. That's what Aaron says. You know these people. I mean, these people, those, yeah, I'm not going to go there. Like, those people, you know, you just, like, sure, there's some, uh, some good people. But most of them are bad apples. You know how prone they are to evil? Verse 23, they said to me, like he puts the blame on the community. They said to me, who will make us God's make us God who will go before us. This fellow Moses, Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happening. him. He's been on this mountain for, for months. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and listen to this. This, is like the most, this sound, literally sounds like Aaron's a five-year-old. And I threw it in the fire and pff, out came a golden calf. He's like, I don't know what happened. It's like I put some, some jewelry in the fire and boom, this golden calf came. I don't know what happened. I, I didn't have any control over it. Just this idol, we start worshiping. And it's like it took off. Like it got out of my hands is what Aaron's saying. And he's a worship leader. Like he should be taking the responsibility and the ownership for not only his own life but how he's leading others. But he drops the ball. He misses his responsibility. He begins making excuses. Well, here's why we didn't wait. Here's why we didn't worship. Like, we had all these things. Like, they're coming after me. And he begins blaming other people. But what do you do when you don't know what to do? Most of us, we pray and we do exactly what Aaron and her and the community of Israel do. We just do stuff. But the formula that, that I want to propose to you, and I think the lessons we draw out of the story that we're going to dive into for the next few minutes is actually not pray and do. It's pray, wait, and worship, then do. Pray, wait, and worship, and then do. 
And to me, that's one of the most powerful lessons about this story. If you look at Moses' life in contrast, the guy who, who should have taken it easy, you didn't have to wait, he literally goes up, he climbs up this mountain as a 90-year-old man, and he's up there for 40 days and 40 nights just waiting. It's not like day one, God's like, here's, here's the Ten Commandments, you can go back down now. Probably by day 29, he's like, what am I still doing up here? Why am I still up here? I'm old. Like, I should be down here having my Earl Grey by now. Like, why, why am I still up on this mountain by myself? I've got servants. I've got younger guys who could have gone up here instead. He's waiting really well. He just waits on God to speak. He gives him that instruction, wait for us. And then for 40 days, he practices waiting. Uh, my counselor put it this way, and I think this is true, not just of me, it's probably true of a lot of us. Like most of us are bad at waiting and we are great at medicating our situation. We are awesome at finding ways to wiggle out of waiting on God. I mean, we'll, do, we'll, we'll medicate, like you may have a big blow up at home. Everyone goes to bed and instead of really addressing it, maybe having a fight that you should have or addressing that with that kid, you just turn on the TV watch football, you watch Netflix, you just let the night kind of pass away and evaporate and do it all over again. You don't really address what's going on. You haven't waited. You haven't worshiped God in the midst. We do this with food. Some of us food, it's sugar. Uh, it may be weed. It may be alcohol. We just find way. How do we numb ourselves down so we don't have to truly wait? We do this. We're amazing as a culture at that. So good at it. We, you can do this with sports. You can do this with betting. You can do this with video games. I mean, you pick your poison. We find ways that, are, that feel comfortable and normal to us to medicate our way out of waiting and truly worshiping God. We just don't, we don't want to address it. We don't want to address the crisis. And Moses shows us a much better way. The second thing that you can really draw out from his story, and I think this is one of the most striking, is to worship God. Literally, Moses comes down off the mountain and he calls Aaron out. He's like, what are we doing here? We're supposed to be a community who's like obsessed with God's presence, obsessed with pursuing him and him alone. Like we're not supposed to have idols and these like drunken part. Like you're missing, what are we doing here? And Moses in, in a weird act of justice, we can't get into all this, but literally ends up saying, hey, worship team, all the Levites, I need you to get some swords and I need you to kill like thousands of people. That's literally what happens in the story. It's bizarre. We can't get into all the whys, but it's like, what? I did not see that twist coming. I didn't see that taking place. But the whole reason is because God so seriously took worship, so seriously wanted his community to thrive and and Israel to be kind of this lighthouse in the midst of all these pagan nations that, that he couldn't let that go. And he calls Moses, you're the leader. You need to set the tone. You need to be the one to bring this back to a priority. And that's not the first time, like, murder's involved in worship. Like, you go back to Genesis 4, Cain and Abel, the first kind of offspring of Adam and Eve, two brothers going to a worship service. One brings an incredibly sacrificial offering, his best to God, and the other brings something that's more like second best. And this whole dispute goes back and forth. Cain eventually kills his brother. It's the first murder recorded in in Scripture and human history, verse uh, in Genesis 4, this is one of the lines that haunts me. It says, The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. God cares about worship. He cares about what you're bringing. He cares about whether or not your heart is engaged 
in what we're doing. Friends, really, I look at this whole journey we've been on, this whole series, really, like the whole point of the tabernacle, this dwelling place for God amongst his people, was not like a spiritual luxury. Sometimes that's how we think about worship. We even think about Sundays like that. It's like, man, if I can get there, it's kind of like a bonus on kind of the rest of my week or my Christian life, or, or maybe you're asking questions about faith or asking questions about Jesus. You're like, man, if I can just get there, I'll feel good, I'll feel better. But the tabernacle and, and this pursuit of God's presence among his people is not a luxury. He, he Literally, God outlines in multiple chapters of this, it's a necessity. You're wired for it. You need it. Like, it gives you life. It, this is what uh, the quote said earlier. It brings faith, brings life. When you come into contact with a God who is always speaking, like, your soul needs it. That's why that formula is so important, to pray, wait, and worship, and then do. Because if you skip wait and worship, you miss out on God's presence, and nothing is worth that. You just pray. God, just kind of a quick thing, and then you go do what you're already going to do. Say, God, bless what I'm already doing. God, work in the ways I'm already at work. Like, you're missing out. Like, there's so much more God has for you and for me in that. I've had this conversation. We're talking about, um, later you hear more about baptism. We're celebrating that next weekend. And I've had people literally not get baptized because they said, I need to wait until I can get something sorted out in my life. I need to wait until I stop looking at that website or I stop drinking this or I stop mouthing off to my parents. I mean, I've had the whole list. It's like, man, in those moments, I just want to say, you're missing the point. You're missing the point of baptism. Baptism is a way to say, I'm waiting on God. I'm worshiping him, even though things are not perfectly ironed out in my life. Even though I don't have the answers, even though I don't have resolve to some of these things, some of these inner tensions. I remember when I got baptized, I was 13. Do you think I had life perfectly figured out at 13? No, none of us do at 13. And if you're 13, there's hope for you because you don't even know all the things that you need to know. And I didn't, but, but I took the step, and I'm so glad that I did. An easy way to think about all the things we're talking about here is talking about this, uh, this teaching with my friend David, and he was saying, you know, it's funny, like we use this acronym ASAP all the time. I text it, I email it, sometimes I say it. If you're an Office fan, you remember the quote, like, I need this done ASAP as possible. <laughs> like, uh, maybe you said this, this acronym or used it before, and, and, and what does it mean, as soon as possible? It's like, quick, I need it done, like, could you get this to me? And he's saying, John, I know this is super corny, and it is corny, but it's helped me remember how to kind of stick this at home, and, and he said, really, as a Christian, as someone who follows Jesus, we, we don't need to get decisions made or do things as quick as possible. We need to allow space and pray. And I know that's like, that, that was your sermon, you worked on an acronym. <laughs> like, to me, though, that, that kind of makes it stick. Are you allowing space? Are you praying about it? Are you waiting and worshiping? Because that's where the best stuff happens. That's where transformation, that's where life is. That's where the Holy Spirit wants to speak, wants to direct, wants to guide. If we just pray and then we go do it, you miss out on the life that God has created you for. He's crafted for you. Allowing space and praying about it. Now, this really doesn't matter until we answer the next question, which is, where do you need this today? Where do you need this? Because here's what I know. If you are sitting here today, or you're watching online, you're sitting here, and you're like, I don't really have any needs. 
I don't have anything in my life that's not resolved. I'm not in a crisis. I'm not trying to make a hard decision. Then I'm so glad that the 1% of you are here. <laughs> I'm so glad. For the rest of us weird people and, and, and somewhat normal people at the same time, there's something unresolved in your life. There's a transition. There's a job kind of decision. There's a moment you're in as a family or in a marriage. Maybe even spiritually, there's some stuff God's calling you to or calling you into that you haven't quite said yes to. And the question is, like, where do you need this? Where do you need to wait and worship today? Where do you need to just not rush to a decision? You don't need to just pray and then do something. You just need to wait and worship. Say, God, what are you, what do you want to do? How do you want to lead? Because really, we talked about last week, like, God doesn't want to just love you. He wants to lead you. This is kind of part two of that. The way he does it is when you and I just be quiet and we sit and we wait and we continue to worship. Even when things are not healed, even relationships are not fixed, even when jobs are not really where we want them to be, even where our place in life, maybe still single, maybe not graduated yet. We're like, we're in tension. We don't have it resolved. And that's a precise place God wants to do his work. I was thinking about this for me. And I was kind of in that first camp. I was like, I don't know. I mean, life is pretty good. Like a lot of things are going well. I'm so excited about what God is doing in our church. I'm excited what he's doing in our marriage and our family. Like, yeah, we got room to grow in all those areas, but I'm finishing up my grad degree in a couple weeks. Like I'm excited about life right now. But the Holy Spirit last night, I was like going to sleep and I was like, man, I don't have anything to share. Like I hope other people have stuff. He's like, there, there's an area. There's an area you want to lead out of. There's an area that you just want to manufacture and force it. And for me, and this is kind of unique to me, but but I've been really praying hard for our next student director as a church. Because I believe sixth through 12th graders matter so much to God. They're in such a difficult season of life. If you're in that season, you're in a difficult season of life. And there are so many pressures, so many voices, so many influences that, that are not necessarily the ones that we want speaking into our kids' lives. And I want us to have a leader, a director, someone who carries that vision for our church. And we haven't had one since like May or June. That bugs me. It bugs me. And I said this to our staff. I was like, man, if I had Wednesday nights free, I would just be the new youth pastor. I'd be like, okay, I'm doing it. I'm just going to show up. I'm going to buy the pizza. I'm going to throw the games. Like, I just care about it so much, and it is driving, driving me crazy right now. And we're halfway almost through this fall semester. Don't have someone to, to carry that. And God said, are you, willing to, are you willing to wait and worship on that, or you just want to, like, lead out of it? You just want to take, take control back, and you want to figure something out. And I was like, point taken. So today, uh, you all have these cards. I invite you to grab them. If you got a pen nearby, everyone should have one. We're going to take a moment and just kind of highlight what's that area for you. Like, where do you need this? And for me, I just wrote that down. Center students director. I just need to surrender it. I need to trust that God is faithful. I need to trust that he's gonna provide an answer in the right time. But here's what I know about almost all of us without knowing all of us is that you have a place too. You have a thing. You have an area that keeps you up at night, that makes you wake up in the middle of the night. You got stuff that you just need to say, God, I'm, I'm gonna let this go and I'm gonna wait going to worship you and trust that you know what you're doing. That, that when, I make, when I make space for you in that place, you will speak. And so I'm going to encourage you. Peter's going to sing uh, an old song over us. And then I'm just going to encourage you during that song to write something down. 
Again, maybe you don't have super great clarity on it. Maybe it's really vague. People wrote down a whole bunch of stuff in first service. But I just want you to write it down. And after that, we're going to have a chance to respond. Peter's going to lead us through that. You're going to hear some scripture, even during this time, spoken over you by people around you. And uh, I believe it's going to be powerful. So would you pray with me as we get ready to do that? Father, thank you just for your kindness. Thank you for your goodness. I am really grateful that in all the areas of our life that we don't have answers, you want to step in and you want to be the answer, not just to point us to solutions or fix stuff or heal stuff right away or or make the marriage better, make the friendship better, make the relationship better, but, but you want to step in and be the solution your presence to flood into our own lives and just say, here's where you need to go. Just wait. Just worship. Thank you for the story of Scripture and how that just speaks into my situation today. And I pray, God, that you would direct us and guide us in the way that only you can. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.